All righty, good morning, everybody. We are getting ready to get started with our class. So as always, I encourage you to keep fellowshipping, but this is the time to, to move the fellowship to the lobby areas. I've, I've now said that so many weeks, I'm starting to feel like the flight attendant, right? You know, please, uh, you know, stay seated and have your seatbelts in a locked position. We're ready to take off, all that stuff. So Keith, you got to come up with a good little opening line for we'll have a little speech and you can do little demonstrations for us and all that. Oh, it's so good to be with you. Good, good vibe going on. Tom's standing up here. Tom, before you run, can you pray for us? Absolutely. All right, let's pray. Lord, you're such an awesome God. Lord, I'm thankful for Emily's message today. What a servant she is for you, Lord. I just uh, always bless her. Lord, just uh, open our hearts. Let this message from Dean be heard today. Give him the words to say. Let them come from you. Lord, just uh, bless our country. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the leadership. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for letting me grab you. Oh, man, what a beautiful morning, yes? Praise God. Incredible worship, incredible testimony in Scripture. Uh, and I, I've said to several people up here, I, I'd love to claim credit for how beautifully the sermons are working with our partnership with our local folks. Whole sermon on the table, and Chris is out there literally spreading the table together in partnership with us in one gen away for the whole community. God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Um, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and I just, I love, I love being together with our people here. I told several of you, David especially, because I'm blaming you for it. But um, I tried to, I, I, I literally walked back to get my notes twice. And I kept getting distracted by talking to <laughs> talking to y'all. They're like, oh, and I ended up back here. I'm like, I still don't have my notes. It's so wonderful to be a place of love. It really is. We love to be together. But we do know this. This isn't a country club. Um, what binds us together is there is a unique love that is outside of us. It unites us, that binds us, that pulls us together on days when it feels great and on those times when it isn't great. It feels difficult and that's a struggle, right? So thank you for being that kind of uh, Christian community. Um, I was thinking about where we're going uh, for the next few weeks. I'm changing gears. We'll talk about that in a moment uh, for, for a couple weeks here. But, but I'm thinking about how, I'm sure this has been true for you too, but there are moments I think back in my childhood that have become symbolic for later stages of my own life or the lives of those that, uh, that I have the opportunity to work with, with or walk with. I, I remember one time, I must have been, I don't know, eight. I was young. I was, it was sometime elementary school. And I remember I got mad at something for not, you know, I didn't get my way. You know, I'm, I'm glad that never happens anymore now. But uh, when I was little, um, my wife's sitting over here smiling sweetly. Um, but I remember I, I didn't get my way about something, and so I said, I'm going to run away. Well, we got our little neighborhood. My mom's smart. She knows, you know, where am I going to go? But uh, so there's a little park behind our house. I walked through the park, and I'm walking down the street. I remember Hayfield Road. I remember where I was walking. I'm walking, I'm walking. I realized, where am I going? <laughs> And, and I kid you not, those who know me well know that this would be the thing that rises at the top of my mind. I thought, how am I going to eat? <laughs> that's, that's the first thing I thought. What am I going to eat? You know, it was close to lunchtime. What am I going to eat? And so I just kind of made my way back and sat down and had lunch and never thought anything about it again. Now, I, I'm not thinking about this because I'm running away from God or anything like that, but I do, I remember that feeling of kind of wandering and powerlessness and feeling lost. 
And I have a sense that the world feels like that sometimes. And especially some of the people that I get a chance to work with and walk with and serve in my ministry, that sometimes it feels that way. It feels like everything else is running away. And there's this sense that we're standing in the middle of that road going, how am I going to eat? How am I going to live? How am I going to love? How am I going to grow? How am I going to, you know what I'm saying? That sense of being overwhelmed or powerless in any given moment. And I feel that with the people that I'm working with. And so part of what I want to do um, I, I, I think I told you last week or week before, I've got a series plan that we're going to kind of experiment with um, that'll be kind of a, 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 cl- a couple classes that'll come after starting point to say, here's kind of the entry point to just an overview of the journey of joining the story of God. That's what I was planning to do. And then after that is just kind of the basics of discipleship and following Jesus. And something just didn't feel like it was the right time for me yet. Um, especially as we're, we're scattered or coming back for the summer. So I, I want to move that to after um, in July. We're going to break up with our uh, men's and women's classes. So after that, I'm thinking August, we're going to do that as we kind of head into the new year. So I thought, what all of a sudden this week, what am I going to do? Um, so I've got this feeling going on of, of that kind of homeless feeling in the world with a lot of people that I'm, I'm spending some time with. And then I thought, as I often do, what, what does the church say? And some of you know what I mean by that. Uh, There's an ancient schedule of readings in Scripture called the lectionary. And so around the world on Sunday mornings, there is a rhythm of readings on Sunday morning that track the life of Jesus. I'm like, what's going on right now? And I popped in there. And lo and behold, this is the Sunday you look at the Ascension. Next Sunday is the Sunday of Pentecost. And the Sunday after that is Trinity Sunday. And I thought, what would it be like to sit down and sit in the power of God for three weeks? To say, what, what does it look like to reconnect? So that's what the church does. The rhythm of the church here, if you don't know this, and again, if this is not your way of connecting with God, that's fine, but let's learn something from it. Um, the rhythm of the church year goes in kind of ebbs and flows of, of reflection internally. There are seasons of kind of repentance or uh, uh, emptying out or searching. So the Advent season and the Lenten season are like that. There are seasons of celebrating the presence of God. So you've got Christmas and you've got Easter. And then there is a sending out and a launching rhythm of the Christian life. And that's why you have Epiphany earlier in the year. And we're about to head into the Pentecost season. And so Pentecost is about power of God coming into our lives in such a way we're propelled into the world in meaningful ways. That feels like a good time. It's a good time to step into the rhythm of all that. Does that make sense? Maybe it doesn't. Again, I'm coming to these texts to say, God, we want to come home again to your power to actually live out life in the world in meaningful ways. God's sending us. He's sending us. And you get that sense as as restrictions drop. We're able to kind of open up a little bit more. And the last thing I want is, boy, we get excited about being together and we just huddle up into a Christian kind of conclave again and don't go out. Does that make sense? So the church is propelling us into a connection with the power of God for the sake of the world, and that's what we're going to do for a few weeks. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, turn to Acts chapter 1. Um, look at this formative story in the life of the early church. And uh, as always, you know, I, I, I have some notes here. We'll read it. But I want to hear from you what you are hearing from God. What do we learn about God here? What do we learn about what God wants for us in this season of our lives? Um, I'll read the, uh, the full section, 1 through 11, and then we'll zero in on the first five verses uh, to begin. This is Luke writing, by the way. You, you probably know this, but if you don't, 
This is Luke volume two. It was very intentional uh, that way. So we call it the book of Acts, but really it's Luke volume two. And he might have started here because he ran out of scroll. Literally, that's what we, we think may have happened with the first book. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So that's the whole story. Let's begin our conversation with the first five verses. What do you notice in these these texts. What do you learn about God? What God wants for us. In my former book, Theophilus, I, bless you, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, and in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What did you hear? What language grabs you? What imagery here in this text? Anything at all that you can learn about God and who we are? things that uh, first hit me is at the end of verse 3 he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God and then again uh, well I guess that's the main just the history, the witness this is not something made up right, I mean he appeared to hundreds Yes. and they continued to live and this is documented I mean it's not it's not just documented in the Bible, but it's documented history. Right. So we, so we can't look at it, although this is a neat little story. Right. Because there were so many witnesses, so much evidence. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. One of the things I love about this, and Luke goes out of his way to emphasize certain historical moments as of great importance. And so, for example, in the end of Luke, when he talks about the resurrection story, uh, there, I, I was talking with a friend earlier this week, and my, we've talked a lot about here in this class, we pay attention to the genres of the Bible. Fancy word, but you know, you've heard, if you've heard me talk about this, my Netflix imagery all the time. So if you wanna, if you wanna watch a movie but you don't know what you want to watch, sometimes you may search by genre. So you 
Open up Netflix, search by genre, drama, horror, whatever, comedy. The Bible has different genres, and you have to pay attention to what genre you're in when you're reading it. Otherwise, we make crazy mistakes. Gave the example in the past of don't read the Psalms like it's the book of Romans. It's poetry, and so we read it accordingly. Does it mean it's not true? No, absolutely not. It's true, and the artistry, the way in which truth is presented in a poem is different than the way truth is presented in a theological argument like in the book of Romans. Does that make sense, right? And so one of the things that we find, especially in these key historic moments, um, the resurrection stories in, in Luke, at the end of the book of Luke, it, it includes details in there like, yeah, he shows up and he's cooking around the fire and he says, do you have anything to eat? And he sits down and he eats with him. Why is that significant? Well, we've learned about meals and we'll talk about that more in a moment too. And it's also Luke saying, man, we're, we're sitting in the genre of this, 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 this happened. Um, we also see, and I love the fact that Jesus, the way I, I put it down in my notes, Keith, is I love that Jesus is willing to engage us as entire human beings. Like, the mind matters to God. Um, I used to have to say, when I was growing up, the heart matters to God, because I grew up thinking the only thing we did was think our way to God, right? And I remember um, being introduced to effective emotional ways of connecting with God, which I didn't know before, right? Now I want to say in this culture where we feel our way to everything, we ought to, and God says don't turn your brain off either. So it matters to me that there's a beautiful little line here that says he gave many, what does it say? Convincing proofs that he was alive. Uh, kind of interesting to say that, isn't it? When they're with him, <laughs> you would think, hi, I'm here is enough of a convincing proof, and yet there's something weird about the resurrection body of Jesus. It is real, it is physical, um, and yet he can come in and out of room. What? I don't know what's going on with that. And he's able to show up to Mary and some others who are saying, who, is this dude the gardener? And hold on, no, he's not. And so Jesus had to keep showing them over the course of these weeks, it's really me, I'm really here, the physical body matters, and I came back. If that's true for them, Think about this. What a beautiful grace of God who had walked with him side by side for three years. I suspect it's okay for me in my moments of doubt and struggle and question to say, Jesus, can you take me down that convincing proof road again? Is it okay that you kind of show up to me again? Now, not, in the, not in the way of, of the unstable man that, that James talks about. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown tops by the wind. Go look at James and, and if you read that closely, the kind of doubt James is talking about is not kick the tires. It's not, God, help me, I'm struggling. It is the kind of doubt that when you go into chapter 2 says, oh, um, you are hungry? Go be warmed and filled, right? It, it's the kind of doubt that doesn't do anything and work it out in everyday life. It's the kind of doubt that says, I'm not going to accept anything that you give me, God. So doubt is not a bad thing. Doubt is an invitation to re-engage God more. And I love the fact we have this story where Jesus says, look, I'm willing over the course of weeks to take people I spent three years with closer than anybody else and still walk them through their doubts and struggles. That is wonderful. Thank you, Keith, for, for pointing that out to us. Others? A um, couple things that um, kind of just, I guess, I think about is um, uh, one thing they had to uh, wait for the Holy Spirit. They had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what they were going to be able to do. Yeah. And uh, so later on in 8, you know, he, he says when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So, so they had to, they had to have the power of the Holy Spirit within them to, yes, to do yeah. what they could do. And one other thing is, um, they were asking before, right before that, uh, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So that's what they were thinking, and he was saying. No, you don't know the times set by the Father Himself, and He's gonna, the Father's gonna do that at a future yeah. time. So that's good. Thank anyway. you. Thank you for that. And I love you bringing that out. And He says it earlier too. Do you notice what it says? The topic of Jesus' conversation is around the table here. What does it say? He's talking about the kingdom of God. So let's let's pause again. We've said this several times, but always reminders. From, from, again, we're sitting in America in a democracy. That imagery of kingdom isn't as fresh as it is. What would have been for them when they talk about this? Um, but it struck me, too, when I was kind of journaling through this. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, in his last days of physical ministry, is just as passionate about the thing he was talking about at the beginning of his earthly ministry? Remember, you go, go all the way back to the, the um, all of the Gospels say that when Jesus was baptized, filled with the Spirit, sent out to do ministry... You know what all, all of them say? He went out about proclaiming, preaching, but don't think preaching standing here. He was proclaiming, he was announcing the kingdom of God. And he was saying, repent. Don't think, I'm just sorry for my sins. He, he said, turn around. The kingdom of God is here. That was his sermon. Now, he, it was more than one line. It just says he was regularly announcing, kingdom of God is here, kingdom of God is here, kingdom of God is here. What does that mean? Again, I've told you before, just think about it this way, kind of ease into it. A kingdom is any place where a king is kinging. <laughs> when the king is doing king stuff. Now, is God always the king? Yes. And we live in a world that is, the Bible says, occupied territory. God does not force himself on us, so he allows the world from the beginning, unfortunately, from Genesis 3, he allows the freedom of human beings and even celestial beings, as best as we can tell, to choose to follow him or not. And when we choose not to follow him, in that limited period of time, the king of the universe is not kinging. Does that make sense? So what is the kingdom of God? Any time, any place where the reign and the rule of God is in full effect. Right? Simple way that I like to think about it. The kingdom of God is when the world looks like the world is supposed to look. God's in charge, running the show, directing it. And that has very specific examples. So people aren't supposed to be, Emily, left out from the table when the king is kinging, right? So when king shows up, Jesus wasn't just doing that for the woman. He was saying, the kingdom of God is right here. <laughs> what does it look like when the kingdom of God is showing up? People who were outcast before get brought to the place of honor, right? That's the kingdom of God. So if you're like me, don't let that language sound foreign. Let's let God open our eyes to what he means by that. So and I've said this so many times, it, it opened up my eyes a lot to see the miracles were not um, uh, sermon props. I grew up thinking miracles were sermon props. It was like Jesus doing cool stuff so that, oh, now I need to pay attention to him and then go read the Bible. Right Now, there is some demonstrative effect of, of signs, and we'll see that in the book of John. But you know what the miracles are? Jesus taking a broken world and saying, that's not the way the kingdom of God looks, so I'm going to re-establish, re rework it, put the king's hands into it in such a way that it looks like the kingdom of God. So when he shows up at a synagogue 
and a person is getting completely ignored with a withered hand because of his deformity, it's not just that. He's not brought into synagogue. Jesus heals him and brings him in. When he encounters a leper who is outcast in the community because of his leprosy, Jesus doesn't just heal him. Go back and read the story. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Why? So you can be back in community. The miracles were enacting the kingdom of God. It was Jesus kinging for God. So what do we get to do as the body of Christ today? We look for places where it doesn't look like God's kinging, and we bring the reign of God into it. Not ourselves by our own power. That goes back to the first part of what you said. Why do we have to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit? Because God has kinging to do, and unfortunately, folks, you and I are not the kings or the queens. So we allow the power of God to come in and make his reign and his rule look like the way the world's supposed to look. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Isn't that a little bit better than inviting people to come um, check off a couple boxes and then wait around until we die and then we get to go to heaven. If you're like me, that is often the gospel I've heard and that is not the gospel and not good news. No, we are invited into a kingdom destiny that starts right here, right now, and the only way we can do it, yes, Kevin, is by the power of the king working through us. David. Yeah, I was just going to say to you, <clears throat> what you're just talking about it it's humbling and uh i don't want to say scary um but certainly uh awe-inspiring uh that you see in this passage he's talking about the kingdom he spent his whole ministry talking about the kingdom and as the king then tells them to wait wait upon the power and then leaves which is a pretty massive unspoken invitation. Well, it's spoken, right. but for us, that we are. And that's, I, it's, it's almost baffling to me. I'm like, I know you're at the right hand of God right now, yep. the, the king. It's just, it, sometimes it baffles me that he went away. <laughs> yeah, why'd you do it this way? Yes. And that just, all that does to me is it speaks of the, the incredible responsibility and the incredible trust and faith that he puts in us to say yeah. I've sent you the Holy Spirit yep. now go do what you're talking about yes and that means that we're not talking about this is the place when we're here every Sunday this is the place this is the kingdom right but there are places outside this building where that does not exist yeah. and so uh, just in the in the face of the fact that he departed and mm -hmm. is seated at the right hand of God has sent the Holy Spirit to tell us to do what he's saying here. Yeah. But with all these places, we have a massive, yes. incredible responsibility yes. to be filled here yep. and go there. Yeah, amen. Um, amen. And that's just, I just think, I just, I laugh that he left. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know that he's with us. Right, right. I mean, it's really clear that Jesus is at the right hand of God. Yep, yep. The Holy Spirit is within us and empowering us. Absolutely, I love it. To be and to go as Jesus' ambassadors. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's amazing. And, and can, I, can I extend a little bit of what you said, too, especially with you? I, I, I know you well enough that I know you'll quickly amen this. If we're not careful, we'll take what you said and say, okay, the kingdom's here, but it's not out there. That's not what you're saying. But can, can we go back to, again, sometimes we think we get caught up in, in reclaiming kingdom language, and sometimes all that means is we say the word kingdom more. No, let's get what he's talking about. 
Kingdom is when the king is kinging. Now, if that's true, when it looks like the way it's supposed to look, does it al- is it always kingdom here? Uh, give an example. Again, I'm just riffing off Emily because Holy Spirit powerfully spoke through you. So Paul says, for example, when you have Eucharist, communion, Lord's Supper, whatever you call it, and you're coming in and fat and happy because you got a lot of money and you brought the food to the potluck, and the poor folks come in after all the food's gone, and you're drunk and happy and full, and they're hungry. Do you know what Paul says? He doesn't say that is wrong and inappropriate. Do you know what he says? Whatever you call it, don't call it the Lord's Supper. You just had a meal. In other words, the king wasn't kinging in that moment. It is entirely possible to be in this community and singing the songs of Jesus and the king is not kinging because I put myself on the throne or I'm coming over against you. I'm telling you, where the kingdom of God is reigning, there is unity in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I'm over against you as a brother or sister, you know what I need to do in that moment? I'm sorry, I surrender to the king kinging all over again. When I'm excluding the other, when I'm shoving the poor out the door, when I'm getting drunk on whatever, you know, I'm filling up on whatever I like and somebody else is, is excluded from that, Right? Does it, you see what I'm saying? So it's entirely possible, by the way, flip of that, again, just a few chapters later, and I've taught about this a lot, it's totally possible that the king is kinging in places we haven't even seen yet, and we need to show up there in order to see where the king's going. Cornelius story. Cornelius story. Peter did not know where the mission of God was taking him until he went outside and saw the king kinging in a place he did not ever go before in his life at a table with a Gentile. Then he saw the king. So I know you agree with that, but and part of what I go back to your heart is it's not enough to just celebrate the king here. That's what I know you were saying. To celebrate the king here when there are places where the king isn't kinging out there, absolutely. And sometimes we need to get out there because the king ain't kinging here, and we won't see it until we get out there, right? Would you amen that a little bit? Or you can push back on it. Push back. I agree with you 100%. I, um, um, the king is kinging everywhere. Yes, yes. But, you know, sometimes it's the brokenness and the, and that does exist yeah. within these walls and outside these walls. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yes, the king is always kinging. The king is always touching people's hearts. The Holy Spirit convicts people. Right. Um, uh, I just am, I'm overwhelmed by the, yeah. the call to go and the Absolutely. call to be. Um, helping to fulfill that king, yeah. that king share the reign of God so with the people world. see that king yes amen amen yeah and bringing it more fully yeah. yeah you think about this language in first Peter also it says set apart in your hearts Jesus Christ is Lord is he Lord everywhere already whether or not I acknowledge him yeah but here's the here's the realm where on every given day I get to wake up and say all right you are king because for at least a limited period of time he lets me make a choice Now, what do we know at the end of time? There will be something so compelling that every knee in heaven, on an earth, and under the earth will bow and confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But I want to do that when I have the choice to do it, not when I'm compelled by by the unfiltered reign and wonder of God to have to do it. Does that make sense? So thank you for that. It's beautiful, beautiful. Other things that you see in this story, who God is and what he wants for all of us. 
Um, there it goes. Um, I don't know what's going on here, but hearing David speak, one of the things I've always been troubled by is, Eat the mic. is why would um, God leave us alone? Why would what? Why would he leave us? Why would he leave us alone? And That's as it. David's speaking here, um, something that's just hit me, and I'll tell you, I've learned more about God from my child than I ever have anything else. And I think We about, heard that today, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, thinking about even this morning, hey, Sam, did you make your bed? Do you know what that needs to look like? Well, yeah, you've shown me. Okay, I'm going to leave. Go make your bed. And it's that expectation um, of setting the example and then having the faith that he'll do it. Um, if I stand there and I coddle him and I, hey, well, make sure you tuck the corner, make sure you put the pillow in the right place, make sure you do this, make sure you do that, he will not be prepared to do this when I'm gone. Oh, that's good. And so as I'm hearing these conversations uh, for the first time in a long time, I'm sitting here going, wow, not what faith I have in him, but what faith he has in me right. to go do this. Yes. Um, so I appreciate the thoughts greatly there. Yeah. Um, the other piece to that is Sam, my child, knows that I'm there. Yes. Even when I'm not there, he knows I'm there. And so the waiting for the spirit and, you know, the churches I grew up in, we didn't talk about spirit. That wasn't something that could be proved. There was no right. formula. There was right. no... So as we talk about the spirit, and I'm reading these notes here, um, it makes a comment about they were waiting for courage, boldness, confidence, insight, ability, and authority. That's good. Um, and I just sit here and I think, okay, so as I walk into a world outside of these walls, the one word that keeps coming to mind is danger. Hmm. It may not be ex accepted when I walk out there and do the things he expects me to do. No doubt. But because of the spirit, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. We got this. We can go and we can, can do these things. And not only can we, we're expected to. That's absolutely. And so when I walk into Starbucks and I see somebody getting irritated because they didn't get that extra pump of whatever it was. <laughs> Don't step I, on my toes now here, man. <laughs> Way to go, Dean. I'm just um, <laughs> so am I walking into that and going, ooh, glad I'm not them. Or am I bringing this spirit with me and showing grace yeah. and showing kindness yeah. and doing the things that, that we're commanded to do, even yeah. when it's dangerous, because Absolutely. he knows we can. Yeah. Um, so appreciate those thoughts. Yeah, thank you. And, and I've just put a little bug in here because we're not, we're not at that part of the text yet. I want to um, encourage you to rethink the idea that Jesus left. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, just, so I just want to throw this into all the things we've said. What struck me in this reading, this time of studying it, I love that Jesus is committed to ongoing instruction on how to live, right? I mean, it's not just, God, God is just as, it, it, through Jesus here, God is just as passionate about training and empowering us to live in those moments where it feels like the world's running away or we don't know where we're going. Like, he wants to give us power, to live everyday life, not just to save us from our sins. Like, I love that too. But again, he's been with them for three years, and it says that over the course of 40 days, Jesus instructed them. He kept instructing them. He kept teaching them. It's like, didn't you finish it? I mean, didn't you? You had three and a half years. You got, you got, no, he's ongoing training and instructing them in order for them to go out and live a life 
that would be a breathtaking, adventurous, dangerous, scary. They kill Jesus, they might kill you too if you do this kind of life. But he's instructing them. I love the idea, and what you hear it come up in our, in our surveys and the direction that, that our discernment team is taking us. I'll say it this way, discipleship keeps coming up. We are committed, I hope, to be a training church. I didn't, I didn't get that when I was a kid. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm, I, and I'm sure they were committed to that. I'm just saying in my mind, I just thought you like got baptized and knew how to pray, for example. Like, you just kind of came to church and you knew, you knew how to battle sin. You, you knew how to be pure. You knew how to be holy. You knew how to, to, to have a heart and of compassion and engage the lost and the world around. No, Jesus trained them. Teach us to pray, right? Um, send them out. Let them screw up. Go read the Gospels. He sent them out. They had no idea what they were doing. And they'd come back and report it. And he'd say, oh, this was great. That wasn't. Watch out for this. Be, be, be happier that your name's written in the book of life than demons are written. Like, he trained them all the way. And then after the resurrection, he's still instructing and training them. I thank God that he set up a training church, an instructing church, a growing into the life that he designed us for kind of church. Because I don't know about you. I've been now over half my life here on this planet probably. And I still don't know how to do it. But I'm learning, and I know better than I did 10 years ago, and it's a credit to the Holy Spirit working our lives. Um, so let's, let's plow for it. No, go, go, please, please, please. Just you saying that and the whole meal thing. Like, there was a, a word used um, when Peter denied Jesus um, about, it's a Greek word, about the fire he's at, that it's a charcoal fire and yep. you know how senses and smells and this is just to brag on him as a trainer when Peter you know like saw him over there cooking fish it's that same word it's only used twice that charcoal and so his training is even in such love like the same smell Peter would have remembered that I denied Jesus yes. is the same smell he went to when Jesus said do you love me like just this welcoming back in like do you really love me? But Jesus gave him that. He got to reassociate his smell. And that's the kind of trainer he is. Like, oh, yes. I want to be that. I'm not. Like, but I want to be that with my kids. Like, that I can associate, reassociate, like, something that was hard and with something that's good. And, like, he just had that gift to do such special things. No, that's so glorious. Thank you for that. Isn't that one of the amazing testimonies of the work of God in our lives? He will meet us in those places that are most tender. I mean, I grew up reading the, uh, the John story with Peter as a shaming moment. Well, I got to shame you one more time before I take you back. So I, you know, and I, I literally heard somebody say this the other day. You know, he had to do it three times and he, it wasn't the real love. So he had to dumb down the word love. John uses the words agape and phileo interchangeably. I'm sorry, it steals, I know it steals one of our favorite sermons. I don't think that's what's going on. I think you're absolutely right. Jesus meets Peter in the greatest failure of his life, and he gives him three chances to get right what he got wrong last time, and he transforms it. And it hit me as you were saying this, as soon as I say this book title, a lot of you will know what I'm talking about. Um, and so we get this problem, but we also get we have a God of the solution. Have you ever heard of the body keeps the score? Like our very bodies, our minds, like the rhythms of our lives, we know trauma. And you might be freaking out on one given day. You have no reason why you're reacting in a 10 to a 4. The reason is because something happened. You may be aware. You may not be aware of it. Here's the cool thing I didn't think about until you just said that. Jesus will meet you in your trauma. 
He will meet you in your pain. And it's not an instant, it's not a moment, but I can testify to it. He will begin over the course of time. Maybe it takes one time, and maybe it takes two times, and maybe it takes three times, Peter, and I will retell your story. Thank you for that. We needed that. You've been, you've been guiding us all day. You've been guiding us all day. Last thing I'll say, by the way, I'd written in the notes, and then again, I love it how the Holy Spirit dances with what you said. It was just an offhand kind of journal note. But isn't it glorious that Jesus meets us most profoundly in the ordinary moments of life? It doesn't just say that Jesus was doing all this kingdom stuff. It said he did it over a meal. He didn't do it in the synagogue. It's okay. He does it in the synagogue too. But he tells the most important instructions of their ministry around the table. So thank you again for that. Um, let's read the end of it. I don't want to miss this. In fact, let's, let's skip to focusing on... Um, the, the last part of this, we'll pick some of this up next week too, but they gathered around and asked him, Lord, are you this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know. Can we just stop for a second and say, here's a great prayer for us in a church in transition. God, can you tell me what I'm supposed to know and tell me what I'm not? Can you tell me what is my business and my responsibility and what is not? There's a lot of stuff I can get all wound up about in the world and God's saying, it's not for you to know. I got that. It's in my hands. And usually, you've heard me talk about this before, probably, my struggle is often their struggle. You know what I struggle with more than anything else? The calendar. I know God wins. I know he'll redeem it. I know all things will be good. I just want to know when. <laughs> Give me the date. Because I feel like if I got the date, I'll be all right. Instead of this horrible, horrible command in the passage to wait. Not for me to know, Dean, the times, the dates, for anything. But what do we get? Can we just savor this for a moment? This is the Son of God speaking not just to them, but to you. Listen, don't look at the text, look at me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I don't know, I'm just... You know, I've told people several times, it's not hiding anything. I'm tired. We're ready for a vacation. We're there. I'm, I'm, I'm not asking for pity. We're all there. And so we're getting really fired up because my wife's been teaching all year. Can you imagine you guys that are teaching the school year and all that kind of stuff? By the end of the year, they're finally like taking away restrictions and all that, but are you all ready to go, right? Here's the thing. If I try to run my life on my own power, it will run out. Isn't it a glorious promise in today's world? Jesus says, you're getting power. You won't get a calendar, but you'll get power. I can deal with a calendar if I have the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, church, in transition, when we don't know times or dates, can we receive the gift of Jesus' promise? You'll receive power to do not what you're going to do later on when we figure everything out, that you're going to do right now what the Holy Spirit's calling you to do in your life, in your purpose, your ministry, your family, right now, you'll receive power. All right, end of that section. So I want to get to the, this part. Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria. Start right here. God will worry about where it spreads. Go read the book of Acts. God will take us. He'll send you. Sometimes it's a disruptive sending, right? So persecution breaks out. It says the church scattered. And oh, by the way, Luke says they preached the gospel everywhere they went. Sometimes it'll be really uncomfortable, church, and the discomfort is intended to prod us a little bit to bring the king of God, the kinging of God, to places where he's not kinging right now, or allowed to. Sometimes it's a a beautiful calling. So in in chapter 13, they're praying and worshiping. This is the one I prefer. (laughs) They're praying and worshiping. The Holy Spirit said, all right, Paul Barmas, get out there. And I want that one, by the way. I don't like the disruptive one. But either way, the Holy Spirit will 
hear me, the Holy Spirit will worry about the ends of the earth. Can we worry about Jerusalem? Like, where are the places, the tables where people are being excluded today? Where are the places where the king isn't kinging? Right here, right now, today. And the Holy Spirit will call us out. Now, now here's, the, here's the powerful part of this to me. All of it is. What am I talking about? After he said this first nine, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud was hidden from their sight. A cloud hidden from the sight. And they were looking intently up to the sky as he was going. Pause. We do a lot of spiritual stargazing in Christianity, don't we? We'll talk about heaven, and I'm all about that. Heaven's beautiful and wonderful. And he said, look, he's coming back. He says, don't stand there and stare up at the sky. Stop standing and staring up at the sky. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is coming right here and right now for Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. So get out in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and when it's time for heaven and earth to come together, he's going to make it happen. They were, look, uh, um, they were looking intently up at the sky where he was going. Suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him going to heaven. So is there a sense in which he's, he's gone away? Yes. And there's a sense in which in every way that matters, he is not. All right, this is something I missed forever. I credit N.T. Wright, who I often talk about, his stuff on resurrection and all that. It's been so helpful. I used to spend all my time talking about the death, the death of Jesus, honestly, forever. And then I'm like, okay, no, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Here's what I'm going to say is so, so important. We've talked about it some, but I, I punch it here at the end. The ascension of Jesus was essential. <laughs> the ascension of Jesus. What is the ascension? It is not him going away. There is a distance, yes. What is him going? It's not him going away. It's him going to say it. To rule. He is sitting at the right hand of God. Is that literally a chair? No, it is a place of power and authority. This is tied into what Jesus said in the book of John. What did he say, church? It is better if I do what? Go away. Why? Because in a limited period of time. Why did he do it this way? I don't know. But he said, for a limited period of time, I'm going to take the Son of God, I'm going to ascend the Son of God to be confined to a human body. What does Paul say? He emptied himself of all of the privileges of Godhood to be confined in human body. What did that mean? If Jesus was going to come and visit you in the period 33 years he was here, what did that require? Him to be awake and to be in your house or in your village or your neighborhood. Go watch The Chosen. You see the most recent episode? Jesus had to come home and go to sleep. I love that Jesus was exhausted. He's not exhausted now. He's ruling and he's reigning at the right hand of the almighty God. And he is there so that he might be here too. And it's not separate. He left and he sent the Holy Spirit. He left and is here in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the book starts with what I've said before, my favorite line at the beginning of the book of Acts. I told you before, Jesus from his birth, Luke, Luke volume one goes from Jesus' predict his, his baby pictures to his ascension. Do you know what Luke calls that? The beginning. In my earlier book, Theophilus, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up to heaven. What does that tell you? He's just getting started. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is present fully for us right here, right now, in our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. He's reigning there so that he might empower us to live here until he comes back and we see it all fixed. He ain't left. 
He ain't going anywhere. He is more present now than he ever was before. With power. And that's why I thought, man, I need this to spend the next few weeks to plug in to the power of God because I get tired. I get tired. Jesus did get tired. So I'm just saying this is a good season for maybe take a few weeks for us to say, and let's just say it to him, Father God, we've all been working really hard. I think of all the things that have happened over the course of the last year and a half, we've been wearing ourselves out. We're running on a treadmill. All the while, you've got, you've got a Porsche sitting right next to us, and you're inviting us to climb in with you and watch you, Jesus, at the right hand of God and acting and carrying out and gifting and calling and sending and disrupting and, and, and empowering us to live out a life that you dreamed from the very beginning for us to have. And thank you, Jesus, for when I'm not getting it and I'm not seeing it, you keep instructing us and you keep convincing us and you keep inviting us to stop stargazing and to start following you with all the power that you give us. We love you and desperately need you. In the glorious, resurrected, and ascended name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you all.